and welcome to episode 694 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, May 23rd. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by not only Justin Mason, but our special guest, Glenn, Glenn Colton. Good morning, guys. Good morning. It's a thrill to be back at the SATB. It, it, it was time. It was time. Justin, how you doing over there? It's very early, but we're recording yeah. very early this morning. It is 5.30 in the morning on the West Coast, and uh, it, it's okay. I'm, I'm always happy to talk to Glenn. We want to send some uh, positive thoughts out to our guy, Jason Collette. He had a bit of a scooter accident uh, in San Diego whilst on, uh, well, I'm sure it was a work trip, but he, you know, after, after work, um, you know, we get this great picture. Hey, look, I'm near Petco. This is great. The next picture we get, you can see on Twitter and it's a bit scary. So we're hoping that uh, everything goes well with his recovery. He is absolutely on the 10 day. I'm going to push that timetable out though. I'm going to think three weeks here before I'm putting Jason back on the roster. I don't know. You got, are you you cutting Jason in any league guys? I think Jason will do anything to try to screw up his chances for his first (laughs) Tout Wars title. He is in first place in Tout Wars. Sabotage himself. Well, maybe I'll have to uh, offer my services to get in there and sabotage it for him. I'll take, Hey, I'll run your team for you. And then I'll just, Email the league for bribes, like, hey, you guys want me to mess this up for you somehow? But anyway, just tell him, uh, just tell him you'll run it like the Colorado Rockies. He'll be fine. Ex- exactly. I'll run it like a mixture of the Rockies and the Mets. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> he should be fine. Uh, he did tweet out this morning, and hopefully everything recovers well. It's a scary picture, but uh, you know, be careful on those scooters. They do go fast, and so you hit a curb the wrong way, which is what happened. Uh, you can definitely get hurt. So I've never ridden one of those, but be careful. Yeah. Uh, but Let's Glenn, get folks to send him good uh, get well wishes. I'm sure it'll uh, raise his spirits. Are you listening out there? At Jason Collette, tweet at him some get well wishes. Yeah, he'll definitely uh, appreciate that. Glenn, um, appreciate having you on, of course. From Fantasy Alarm, Sirius XM, you do a great show with Rick Wolf. You're also at co-owners with him in leagues. And you guys, your, tra- your track record speaks for itself. Uh, I know you know this. and I Okay, so I didn't know that you'd already spoken to Josh Towers. But I go on VSIN the other day, Vegas Sports and Information Network, my boy Gil Alexander, and he tells me that Josh Towers is here. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. You know, I got to get in. I got to tell him about Colton and Wolfman and just how much Josh Towers' name still rings in the fantasy community. So we do our bit. And it's like wrapping up, and they're like up against the break. I'm like, yeah, I got one thing, though. Uh, just so you know, Josh, that you're a legend in the community, in the fantasy baseball community, uh, because of your big uh, end of season. What was it, a shutout? It was definitely nine innings, I believe, right? Uh, but it was, a, was it a full-on shutout that led to you and Rick winning the AL Tout Wars, or was it labor? It was, uh, it was AL Labor as our second uh, straight title, and actually in our first two years. And we needed Josh Towers to get the W on the last day of the season, and we overcame like a 30-point uh, deficit in the first inning. Carlos Delgado hits a grand slam, and, you know, there are two people in, in America who are celebrating that home run. That was Rick Wolf and me. It was awesome. And of course, yeah, then he says, yeah, I've actually been on their show, but that's awesome. And so uh, it was very cool there. But again, those were hardly, it might have been your first two titles, but hardly uh, the only ones you guys have had. Your success is is unprecedented. How are the teams doing so far this year as we, as we round into the, uh, the end of the second month? You know, pretty much all of the, quote, expert or industry leagues are very much competitive. Uh, the leagues, I think, this year are more tightly uh, bunched than, than I've seen 
in a long time. And I'm looking at Tout Wars. You know, we're talking about Tout Wars AL with Jason Collette. There are seven teams within about 15 points. Um, you know, that, that means a ton of teams are in contention. In Labor, Labor AL, there are eight teams within that number of points. And the points still change a lot, you know, in the middle mm-hmm. of May. It's not like we're third week in May. So we feel like, other than maybe the FSTA League where we lost Corey Kluber, uh, and that really hurt when you lose your third round pick, and Frank yeah. Lindor missed time, and, and you know, so we lost a lot of our top players. Other than that league, I think we're in it. Absolutely. What do you attribute like so many teams being so tightly bunched? Do you, do you think it's the ch- change in kind of the dynamics of power this year? Or is it just kind of one of those fluke years where everybody's put together these good rosters? You know, I think it's a couple of things. I think it's the tremendous lack of certain categories. I mean, mm-hmm. saves are all over the place, save for, you know, the, the few, you know, lock and load or all this Chapman types, you know. And steals are all over the place. And even the guys that you thought were going to get your big-time steal numbers, like Malik Smith, end up in the minors. So that category is very, very unpredictable. And then the pitching has been, you know, really unpredictable. You you draft uh, a Kluber, a Scherzer, a DeGrom, and you say, okay, they're going to anchor the staff. Those guys aren't doing, you know, Kluber got hurt, of course, but he even wasn't doing beforehand what you expected them to do, which throws the pitching categories into disarray. So I think it's a lot of things at once. Yeah, there, there are a lot of things that have been turned upside down just in these first two months, and maybe it comes back and, and kind of goes you know, closer to status quo, or maybe it continues to be just an insane kind of season. Justin, did you have another question? Yeah, what has been your biggest challenge uh, early in 2019? The biggest challenge is every time we walked away from the smart system, we're, we're paying the price. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for example, in the Labor AL League, Yes, we lost Matt Olson for a month and a half. We lost Darren Judge for two months. So that we're in contention is, is amazing, that, and that's great. Except we didn't get a lock and load closer. And so, lo and behold, you know, where are we on saves? 11th. Yeah. <laughs> At 12. So we're gonna that's get, a big uh, challenge. We're going to get deep into the smart system here uh, shortly. I actually have one other question before we start to do that, though. We keep hearing uh, again last night, and you could hear the the, um, the 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 give up, just just the the defeat in Gary Thorne's voice <laughs> when Glaber Torres hit yet another home run against against the Orioles, and it was a it was a pretty cheap home run too. I think it like bounced on the top of the wall and went over, and he was just like, "This is unbelievable." How much stock? And far as as far as like assessing a player, should we put into something like what Glaber Torres is doing, which for those unaware, he has a 1763 OPS and 10 of his 12 homers against the Orioles. And uh, with a 906 OPS total, I got to imagine that against the rest of the league with only two homers and a 250 average, it's probably a pretty mediocre OPS the rest of the way. So bottom line, he looks great. But going forward, how do you how do you assess somebody when they do so much damage against one team, even if they do have more games coming up against that team? Uh, obviously, we're re- re- we are relating it specifically to Glaber, but it, it happens a lot every year when someone just beats up on one team to kind of pad their numbers. Does that change your assessment of that player, Glenn? Well, I guess I have three answers to that. One, Glaber Torres, with his 10 home runs against the Orioles, joins the following group of players who have hit 10 home runs in a season against the Orioles. Ruth, Gehrig, 
DiMaggio. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's pretty good company. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, and by the way, there's still eight more games for the yes. Yankees mm-hmm. against the Orioles. Um, look, home runs against the Orioles count as much as home runs against, uh, you know, Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer no or doubt. whatever. But so they? I don't care <laughs> where he gets it, right, where he gets the numbers, as long as at the end of the year those numbers are there. Look, if you're looking at the Tuffy Rhodes types players, you know, and the guys who there's every evidence that they're flashing the pen, you have to worry about it. With Glaber Torres, this is, you know, an incredible pedigree. He's still growing. He plays in band boxes in Yankee Stadium, Baltimore, Toronto, Fenway Park, etc. And that lineup is only going to get much better because no they doubt. Still, <laughs> he hasn't played with Judge, Stanton, or DD, or basically all year long. Yeah. So I am not worried about Glaber at all. I do think you're right, though. You have to look at, you know, certain players who are doing the unexpected. Do we expect Glaber to hit 40 home runs? No, but do we expect him to hit 25 to 30? I think we did. So it's not that far off. So you just ride it out and don't don't try to act on this because I'm not even sure what the what the action would be. Maybe a maybe a sell high. Um, uh, could you really sell high though right now because? He's had, in his last four games against the Orioles, he has seven home runs. So, I mean, I think people would see that coming. Like, Maybe in, like, I mean, maybe those of us who are, like, in it every single day. And I'm not trying to say that, like, people who aren't are stupid or anything. But people are going to look at 302, 342, 564, 12 homers. They're going to be aware of the Baltimore decimation. But I would think that there'd be some, like, okay, well, I mean, yeah, he kills Baltimore. But... This is still an amazing bottom line. I don't know. I, I think I think his market price would still be pretty high. In fact, we can kind of check uh, on, on that a little bit here because the Second Chance Leagues kicked off last night. So let's go look very quickly at, uh, at where he went. There's three leagues that went. Glaber Torres went around pick 55 on average. The high was 40. The low was 68. And um, he was fourth among second basemen. And tenth among shortstops, which tells you just the depth of shortstop. So, what do you think about that, Glaber Torres, as the fifty-fourth pick? The, the rest of the way, I'll start with Justin, and then we'll get Glenn's thoughts on it. I mean, is that that much different than where he was preseason? I, I don't think it is. I mean, I think I don't was, remember to be honest. Uh, I'm uh, looking at uh, seventy-two, so he's moved up about 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 a round and a half. So, I bet you add in kind of injuries and things like that, and it's really kind of a negligible difference. So uh, I'm not surprised. I'm actually a little surprised it's not higher than that considering what he did yesterday and these drafts right. were kind of coming as it was happening. Or And he has after. dual eligibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got – he's got uh, Torres has the second short. Glenn, what, what do you think about that 54th uh, uh, pick on average for the second chance leagues for Glaber Torres? Is that the right price right now? I think it's I think it's too low a price. I think somebody stole him there. Look, in the FST League in January, we took him at 53 overall. And if you really go and look at you know some of the advanced numbers, you guys, of course, at Fangraphs have fabulous uh, numbers and ability to get behind uh, the surface stats. But he's hitting the ball much harder. Mm-hmm. He's making more contact, and the BABIP is exactly in line with basically career numbers. So he's not you know getting lucky. What's to think that he's not going to continue to produce substantially? And by the way, when he gets more protection in the lineup, I think it actually has chances to go up. I think whoever got him in the late 50s or mid-50s with dual eligibility on this team got a good deal. Yeah, the person who got him at 68, well, well done there. I, th- I think uh, I think you guys are making some great points on Glaber 
Torres. And I don't think it's an unreasonable bet to believe that his production against the rest of the league will likely improve, even if in those final eight games against the Orioles, he doesn't continue to be Babe Ruth against them. So, And he's one of those uh, guys that I think has really benefited from the juice ball. You know, there, there's some guys who are just hitting the ball harder. Uh, he, for the most part, he, he's not. His uh, exit velocity is exactly the same as last year. Uh, his uh, uh, launch angles actually decreased. Um, but I think the balls are just flying a little bit farther. And, and for a guy like him, who, who doesn't necessarily have your prototypical monster power, uh, he's really benefiting from the ball just traveling farther and faster. The, the, the you know, it's, it, it's interesting, though, because some of the numbers are mixed there, right? Because mm-hmm. his his hard hit percentage is actually up from last year. Mm-hmm. And the home run for fly ball was you know, rounding 18 last year and 21 this year, which is a jump, but it's not a monster jump, right? And his fly ball percentage is down maybe a little over 1%. So there's not sort of a huge decrease in those advanced metrics there that say, hmm, maybe this can't continue. Yeah, I, I would I would agree there. And then Glenn's point about how the lineup's going to continue to get better. It'll help those counting categories. As the uh, lineup continues to get better, though, there's a chance he moves back down. And I think one of the things we were concerned about coming into the season was that he was kind of projected hit seventh or eighth. That was my concern. Yes. And so, but I, I mean, wonder with his performance. You have to think they're going to keep him near the top of the lineup, right? Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Is I think that he. Uh, Torres will find a way to to kind of stick in the better positions, even as some of these guys. Now, some of these guys, obviously, you know, Judge will push him down, Stanton will push him down, but you know, like a Didi, I, I don't know that Didi's necessarily going to come in and be able. Now he's only really batting fifth primarily, like that's kind of the, the highest that he's been able to move up. He has a few, a handful of games in the three four slots for for Torres, but for the most part, it's been fifth or sixth. So, Glenn, as they do bring the guys back, where do you think Torres? will wind up. Will he be back in the sixth spot? Yeah, I think he's probably going to be, you know, in the in the five to seven range. The first guy to lose, you know, his spot in the batting order is going to be DJ LeMahieu, uh, who will, you know, go toward the sort of second leadoff role, if you will, sure. uh, down toward the bottom of the lineup. But, I mean, you have to look at the lineup, right? I mean, if he's hitting sixth or even seventh behind, you know, the judges and the DDs and, and the Sanchez's, there's going to be ducks on the pond every single time oh, he gets no. up. So the opportunity there is is greater than maybe a guy on a weaker team hitting, uh, you know, I mean, no offense, Justin, you'd rather have the seventh hitter on the Yankees or the third hitter on the Giants. I mean, oh, 100%. How dare yeah. you? No, I, I agree. Or, 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 or my bullet. Or on the Tigers. Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, with, with the way this lineup could look, you know, uh, Sanchez – Stanton Voigt, the three like right ahead of him. I know Voigt's not quite the name of those other guys, but he's been performing well too. So lots of lots of love there for for Glaber Torres. Let's talk smart system here. Uh, it's a system that has tried and true. This is this is these are the guidelines with which you and Rick follow when you're building your teams and managing your teams in season. The S is for scarcity, M's for management, A is for anchors, R is for relievers, and T is for team. And then you have specific rules of engagement that you uh, that you follow as well. We're gonna get in on a few of the things. Let's actually start with the S though. Where is the scarcity in today's game? Often we see it in the middle infield. I just mentioned to you that Glaber Torres, of all people, is the 10th shortstop off the board in the second chance league. So it's certainly not shortstop uh, for the scarcity. Where is it this year, whether it's position or category, Glenn? Well, obviously the, the single most glaring scarcity is offense from catcher. 
right? Oh, God, yes. So we went out and, you know, in the worst kept secret in the history of fantasy baseball, went out <laughs> and rostered Gary Sanchez just absolutely everywhere. everywhere. And by the way, it's May 23rd. He's got 15 home runs. And it couldn't be working days. better. Yeah, it could not be working better. And he was a buyback for me, too. I, I Just somebody I was definitely interested in. If I couldn't get Gary Sanchez, though, I was waiting. It was, it was, it was Sanchez or bust for me as far as catcher went. Yeah, no, I, we were in on Yasmani Grandal at the price. Yeah, uh, I, that's true. Well. I liked him as well. Um, so that that's sort of the most obvious one. And, and you have to look at both two types of, of scarcity. There's positional, and then there's um, category. So steals and, and lockdown saves yes. were two of sort of the classic uh, places where you were going to have trouble. Because to me, in scarcity, I didn't want to go and roster a lot of unless the price really fell, Malik Smith, Billy Hamilton, guys like that. I wanted to get guys, make sure I paid a little bit more for the, the good hitter who's going to get 10 steals, who's going to get 12 steals, to make sure so you build some of it up so you're not bidding up Eduardo Nunez at the end of a draft or something mm-hmm. like that. So steals was a huge scarcity. And I think the mistake people made is thinking that, you know, the – absolute ace starting pitcher is a necessity. And we made that mistake a couple of times. You don't need the best starting pitcher. And, you know, A is for anchor. We'll talk about that. You just need a really good starting pitcher. So some of, I think one of the things that people overdid on scarcity is they overpaid for, um, you know, the Scherzers and the Zagrams, who sometimes went like three or four overall, which to me is, is bananas given the offensive talent you could get at that level. In in that regards, like, do you think we need to reevaluate kind of the top end and what is an ace in terms of starting pitcher? Because I know, like, in Tout NL, I spent $41 on Max Scherzer. Now, I think he's probably earning that in terms of overall cost by the end of the year, but it really hamstrung the rest of my offense, especially. So is, is it, you know, and, and there are guys we thought were aces, Corey Kluber before he got hurt, that just haven't really lived up to kind of the hype. Do we need to reevaluate what's an ace or what we're willing to pay for an ace? I think we do. And I think the strategy that we've always lived by and the smart system sort of started back in the early 2000s. And we never owned, for example, an AL Pedro Martinez um, or, or Randy Johnson. But every year we had a Mike Messina who was going to give you good wins, good ratios, good Ks to, you know, anchor your pitching staff. So to me, it's, okay, if I'm going to pay $41 for Scherzer, and I understand why you did that, then let's say I have a total of $60 for, for that pitcher and a hitter. Well, maybe the $32 pitcher right, and the $28 hitter is going to be a better combination. So to me, I think you've got to really be careful saying what's the difference between and the odds of production of a $40 you know, ace and, and a $30 ace. What about bullpens? We kind of have a new bullpen bullpen dynamic in Major League Baseball. How has it impacted the R in the smart system? Well, I think it's just been more imperative to get your one guy that you know is going to get you saves. And it's just really risky to invest in, you know, these bullpens where they don't have one, whether it's Philadelphia or, um, you know, I'm trying to think of some of the others that are, are, are difficult. Uh, we thought it was going to be Arizona at the start of the year. It didn't turn out that way. These places where you just don't know who's going to get the saves, there are, it's just more important to roster you know, 
you know this is the closer. Um, and Aroldis Chapman is sort of an obvious one there because even with the deep Yankee bullpen, he was going to close, for example. Um, and I think that's really important because, yes, these teams move guys around. And I love Alvarado, right? <laughs> but you, you had to know. Mm-hmm. That you're going to see some Alvarado, you're mm-hmm. going to see some Castillo, you're going to see some unknown guy. I didn't know it was Pagan, but it was going to be some unknown guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just going to have had to know that that was coming. So we wanted to invest in guys and guys who are on good teams because the yeah. problem with closers is the closer on a bad team becomes the setup guy in August on a contender, and it just blows up. Or, the or just doesn't. Or just doesn't get as many opportunities. You know, I know Shane Green has has kind of blown that out of the water, but the numbers are there. The better teams get more save opportunities. And so I know there's like a common thinking of, well, the guy on a crummy team, uh, whenever they do win, it's going to be like four to three. It just doesn't work that way. It's it's just not true. I mean, the the Tigers have blowout wins. Now, again, this year the extenuating circumstance has been that he's saved 15 of their 18 wins. And, and so the people who live by that narrative are going to be like, ha, see, told you. But it, 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 this is an exception. I guarantee it's an exception. The numbers have been run. You want you want the better closers on the better teams. And that does take us into the T uh, for, for SMART, which t- stands for team, and, and getting players on better teams. Have the Has the new dynamic of haves and have-nots with several teams committing to their rebuilds and being kind of awful, has it made it harder to really focus on that because once you kind of get deep into the draft, you know, get seven, eight rounds into the draft, uh, a lot of the best players on the best teams are, are kind of taken up. So how, how do you how do you execute the T in today's landscape with so many haves and have nots? Yeah, I don't think it's a function. It's a great question. I don't think it's a function of only getting Yankees, Astros, you know, Tigers, Dodgers, yeah, Giants, of course. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> sarcasm over the radio. And <laughs> um, it's a function of how you value and what you're willing to pay. So I see a player on the Astros, the Dodgers, the Yankees. I'm going to pop up their auction value, you know, by five, ten percent because okay. they're going to get more opportunity to drive in runs, see fastballs with, you know, uh, score runs, etc. Um, but I'm not going to only focus on guys on those good teams. It's simply a way of increasing the value. So, you know, if I'm comparing, uh, you know, Brandon Belt and Andrew Benintendi, I'm going to go with Benintendi because he's more likely to get more opportunities. To that end, though, as far as a good team goes, how do you address the the Dodgers rotation? Obviously, we're in season now, so drafting them, if you drafted them, you've got them. But their their willingness uh, and desire to kind of rotate their guys, pretty much all of them. I mean, Kershaw, I, I you know he's been he's been great this year. We're probably due for a, a ten day or at some point in the middle of the season, probably around the All Star break. I would figure that'd be kind of the easiest way to do it and just say, oh, you know, he's just a little sore or whatever, just to kind of stretch it out. But even if he's kind of the locked one in and to handle as many innings as he can, um, the other four. I, I don't believe so. the other four spots are just going to be rotated. So how did you handle that coming into the year? And now where are you with the Dodgers starters and their willingness to kind of rotate all the time? It really depended on the league that I was in. So in a labor NL, for example, a 12 team NL only where when you lose two weeks of a Kershaw or, or a Rich Hill or whatever, 
you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel. I yeah. stayed away from the Dodgers in those leagues. On the other hand, in a 12-team mixer or a 14-team mixer like FSTA, I wasn't afraid of rostering those guys at value because I knew that, okay, I can have a quality streamer and I'll take my 175 Kershaw innings, mm-hmm. and I can probably put together 50 decent innings from streaming in a shallow league. So I'm perfectly fine with it in a shallow league. And even in a 15-team NFBC, T, you know, TGFBI, um, I think you can still find the streamers, and it's okay. But in the 12-team AL and NL onlys, no thank you. Yeah, even if you're streaming a premium reliever, uh, you know, for your Kenta Maeda being out or something like that. I think that you can get by with that in a 15-team format like the TGFBI. Uh, Justin, did you have anything related to the, uh, the, the, the T and Smart and teams? Uh, no, I, I wish I had taken that advice in Tower because <laughs> I, I rostered Ross Stripling, and while well, he's been good, it's just super frustrating, frustrating. now that he's not starting. So Yeah, it's... it's- and that, that's it's the not part. a depth of league where you can afford to just drop a guy like that because he'll get snatched up. Uh, so, and then there's not like there's any replacement value on the wire. So, I think it's a really good point. Really, the context of league size matters. Yeah, like I knew coming into the season what it was going to be like with these Dodgers starters, and yet in the midst of the season, it's still super frustrating. Of course, Stripling, Justin was kind of one of our guys. We absolutely loved him, tried to get him everywhere. But even in like a 10-team mixer where it's not difficult for me to replace Kenta Maeda, him going on the DL still kind of throws things up in the air. And then, you know, you got to go do that extra work. So if you're not prepared to do that with the Dodgers starters, you shouldn't draft them. And we talk about this a lot on the show of knowing what you're capable of doing and, and capable of um, – managing throughout the season uh, with regards to players who get hurt a lot or are going to have kind of disjointed playing time and things like that. Um, All right, let's move on to the next question. One of the rules of engagement is to not pay for the unseen production. I do wonder how that plays out in today's environment with two key factors. One being that that rookies are so prevalent. We just had uh, the fab, fab extravaganza with all those rookies. And two, Every, everybody these days acts first and then asks questions later. Like, we don't get to wait X amount of innings or X amount of plate appearances to kind of see if something's real. So how do you how do you manage that with in-season management while still adhering to the rule of engagement not to get too caught up on hype? Well, I think that there's a huge difference between what you're going to pay in an, in an auction or, or, or beginning of the season draft where your opportunity cost is so much greater. If you pay... or third round for a hot rookie, you're giving up established solid veteran stats. When you get to the Fabapalooza or whatever you want to call it, um, that's completely different, especially in deep leagues, whether it be the 15 teamers or the only leagues, because you have to jump on those guys and all you're doing is giving up you know, maybe a trade, trade in or change of role in two months, or maybe Jordan Alvarez shows up, or uh, maybe Craig Kimbrell gets signed. So I'm much more likely to, you know, throw the fab at, at these young rookies than I am to do it in the auction or the beginning of the season draft where the cost is so much greater. Okay. Yeah. Th- I mean, I, that definitely makes sense because it's, it's certainly something that, you know, you'd be left out in the cold if you if you really just kind of uh, waited to you know see somebody perform on the wire again. They get they constantly get picked up or just avoided rookies altogether. That'd be that'd be very difficult. 
I know Justin, you're kind of, um, you're you're the same way in draft, right? Are you not going, you're going to make your picks every once in a while on guys that you're going to pay for, but don't you adhere to the same sort of backing off the hype, but then in season, I think in season though, you're still pretty cautious with it. So how do you balance that? I'm pretty cautious either way, but it is all like Glenn was saying, it's all about opportunity cost. So if I see someone in a draft that I feel uh, is representing a very good value and has a clear path, you know, path to playing time, uh, I'm going to go ahead and and take a shot on him, you know, knowing that if I have to drop him, you know, especially in a mixed league, that that's okay. I didn't invest very much into the guy and, uh, you know, the, the ceiling is much higher. So it's it's not necessarily about not being willing to roster guys like that in a draft. It's more a matter of I'm rarely going to roster the Acunas of the world that I know may not be up for at least a month or two months mm-hmm. uh, at a high price. You know, if it's at a lower price, if it's outside the top 150, then I'm, I'm much more likely to uh, to go after a guy like that. And I, I, don't, I don't think that's unfair. You know, I, I was in a bit on some of the Acuna shares last year, some of the Vlad Jr. shares this year. It is a challenge, though. It's definitely, you know, when, again, when you're in it, it's easy to talk big in February and March. You're like, I can handle this. I'll be ready. And then when you're in it, you're like, why, why, why didn't I just take the guy who's playing right now? Well, and it's, I think there's a difference, too, between guys like Vlad uh, and maybe guys like Carter Keyboom or, or someone like sure. that. You know, we're in a golden age of prospects right now, and they're translating better than they ever have. That doesn't mean that this is a trend we're going to see. This may just be a golden age of prospects. We may just be going through kind of a time in which some of these guys are great because not all of them are translating right away anyways. So uh, I think it's one of those things where I I don't want to get too used to necessarily – uh, having to go after you know some of these younger guys in draft uh, so aggressively, but you you have to balance to not wanting to be left out in the cold on them as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd throw in that the thing that I will do more next year than I did this year is throw guys onto the end of my draft late rounds or the dollar or two dollar plays at the end of the draft that I know probably won't be around for a couple of months. My next year teams will have more. Austin Riley's, for example, who in March we thought, oh, Josh Donaldson's there, the outfield's full, where is he going to play? Wasn't Mm -hmm. so, you know, great. Uh, We'll have more guys like that at the very end uh, of the draft than I did this year. Yeah, we we block these guys off in our minds. And, you know, it's the Cody Bellinger thing is is the example that we go to a lot on this show when Adrian Gonzalez was there and the outfield looked blocked off. But Part of that block off in the outfield was Andrew Tolls, and I guarantee a mi- minimum of twenty percent <laughs> of the audience right now does not remember Andrew Tolls. A I minimum. Loved Andrew Tolls. <laughs> I did too, but that was part. That was part of the. Well, you know, well, the, the Cody Adrian, the Adrian Gonzalez point of that should have been a, a warning sign that we were, we well, yeah. were thinking clearly. But, but but you know the the, the contract the established veteran with a contract uh, but then yeah even the outfield avenues were like well how's he going to get how's he going to push off Andrew Tolls man come on uh, Glenn as we wrap up with you I- I'm going to take a little page out of the baseball HQ book because uh, I love what Patrick Davitt does over there uh, I'm not going to go Baines and and booms and Baines but I do want to know if there's a couple players that you're that you're looking at to kind of hit the jump off point uh, over the next four months here that maybe haven't been as strong so far this year 
Well, I think it's a couple of different kinds of players that, that, that fit into that role. Um, you know, I think Eduardo Rodriguez has been unbelievably unlucky and is just a guy who, as the Red Sox, I hate to say this out loud, get better. <laughs> He's going to get better. Um, you know, for example, and the guys who are coming back from injury who aren't, like, killing the ball right now, but uh, as they heal, I think they're undervalued now. The Matt Olsons of the world, by way mm-hmm. of example, I think, you know, fit nicely into, uh, you know, that type of, uh, of thing. And I, I'll tell you, I don't know who's on this train or off this train, but if people are giving up on Ruggie Odor at his age, jump on that. I mean, oh, okay, I'll give you and Justin to this. You guys have fun talking about <laughs> Ruggie so over this guy. I mean, yeah, look, I mean, look, how old is Rugnet Odor? He's well, 25 he, years he old. He looks 38, okay? Can, can, can we acknowledge <laughs> that? Can, can we acknowledge at, that at he certainly 54, looks? At 54, that doesn't sound old, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a bad bit of 189, you really yeah. think that's going to no, hold? I, I mean, I get it, you know, I get it. And he's got power, and even though he doesn't really have speed, he does run. Like he is the worst base runner in the universe. Uh, he was twelve for fourteen, twelve for twenty-four last year. He's four for eight this year on the basis for Rugnet Odor. But you're right; he's twenty-five. He still has seven homers and four steals, despite the one sixty-two average. At this point, the cost is like nothing. This is we, we've been talking about this a bit on the show this year too. This is legitimately buying low. Uh, the the buy lows when people say. Uh, Go, go, go by uh, uh, Max Scherzer. He has a four ERA, so just go steal him from some... No, that's not a thing. Uh, he has 341 right now, but, you know, talking about star players that uh, aren't quite at their peak is not buying low. Rugnet Odor is on the waiver wire of some 10 and 12 teamers, I bet. Yeah, I'll and, give you another one. Eugenio Suarez at hitting 254... You know, sort of a, a lot of meh thought about the Reds, but that's just a professional hitter who's going to hit when it gets warm in that bandbox at Great American Park. He'll, he'll take off. To, I mean, he's still got 13 homers despite this, so that's more of a batting average play there because you, you're still get, you're already getting your power, but he'll continue to hit for the power, and, and I agree with you. I think that batting average has at least 20 points to gain from it. I think he's at least like a 275 hitter. Hey, Eugenio Suarez for the Reds. That's a good call. Any pitchers that you're eyeing? Oh, you mentioned Eduardo Rodriguez. Any others that you're eyeing of like, hey, hmm, this guy could get going a little bit, or uh, is that it for you? No, I mean, there's a couple more. I mean, especially after yesterday's debacle, um, I think some people might say, oh, look, Luis Castillo is reverting to form kind of thing. If that happens, <laughs> if, get if anybody says that, you that, send them my right? way. Uh, because I, I think, you know, that's clearly a guy who has turned the corner, if you will, on that. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other pitchers that I think that it's not so much that they're underperforming, but that people don't believe it. Uh, I think Frankie Montas and Martin Perez are for real, and especially in AL only. Martin Perez just throwing harder than he ever did. He's just a different pitcher, and people still think of him as that, you know, can't break a pane of glass kind of yes. guy. Yes. I feel like you anymore. tailored those to the show there because yeah, that, Justin those... loves Frankie Montas, and I love Martin Perez. So you, I don't know what sort of research team you got there, but you really just hit the sweet spot yeah, there with the couple You've just earned your ticket back to the podcast. <laughs> oh, I so. love it. So, so, ch- so check this out. You want to see how injuries can really hurt you. So in the Labor AL, 
Frankie Montas and Martin Perez were were reserve round picks mm-hmm. at 12 team AL only. Got them both in a reserve wow. round. But because we lost Judge and Olsen, you know, we aren't climbing back up, but we'll get there. Oh, you still have them. I thought I thought this was a horror story of how you had to like, No, no. He- heck no. I listened I, to the show too. Well, I cut Martin <laughs> Perez in the main event because he had I those three <laughs> he had those three relief outings. I mean, I stand by it, but it's very frustrating. I don't stand by it. It was a poor decision. It it absolutely wasn't. You of all people should know how difficult it gets when injuries strike and uh, you have to make some difficult moves there. I mean, you had to cut your entire team. I think you had to get an entire team <laughs> off waivers, right? Uh, he started with seven guys on the DL. It's completely a- different. Absolutely insane. Absolutely <laughs> insane. Glenn, appreciate you joining us. Uh, folks can find Glenn Colton on Twitter at Glenn Colton One. That's Glenn with two ends, by the way. Uh, Fantasy Alarm is a great website. You got to check out what they're doing over there. And then the Series XM Colton and Wolfman show on Tuesday nights. They they really were slumming it this past Tuesday. Had me on, but generally they have quality guests on. Glenn, I want to thank you so much for being on with us. Always love talking with you. Always love linking up at labor and tout wars as well my pleasure guys anytime uh honored to come on the show and justin we got to get john colton the wolfman real soon i uh, can't wait all right guys take care <laughs>